Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. The reality is, is that when a customer has a bad experience with our one of our locations or with our brand, very rarely is it a catastrophic fail on the company's part. It's not like they got punched in the face or their car caught on fire or they got foodborne illness. On the contrary, most of those mediocre experiences that they're having are just the team at the location did not deliver the experience or the product to the level of expectation, right? That's it. And what's even more frustrating is that so many of those fails um, that are creating those mediocre experiences have already been identified by the company. We already know that that's an issue. We've trained on it. We told you to look out for it. But the reality is, is that we are asking so much more from our employees today than at any other time in the past. We expect them to have such a grasp on all of these details, but we are not giving them the tools to be successful, right? And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We are the platform that you give to your hourly employees so they know uh, what they have to do, when they have to do it, and so they don't miss anything. And then on the corporate side, you now have visibility into what's happening and you can hold them accountable to doing it. And you can get rid of those mediocre experiences and control what you can control. And Ops Analytica is a major key to that success. Check us out at opsanalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. I'm back. It's me, Tommy, and I'm back with another interview here. I'm super excited to welcome to the show, Mariana Roots. How are you doing, Mariana? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much, Tommy. Delighted to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. So the way the show works is that I ask the same five questions to every guest. And my first question is my favorite. So I want to get to it as quick as possible, which is tell me what you do today, but then take us through your career progression from your first job until now? Oh gosh, what do I do today? I make sure that people get what they ask for by way of customer satisfaction and customer experience. That's what I do, but predominantly in the contact center industry. And I can hear people cringe, ah, well, you know, call center. And that's exactly what I thought when I moved into this. But my very, very, very first job was actually washing the dishes in a hotel in my village in Neslau in Switzerland. The hotel still exists. And I had to earn some pocket money as I was going to college. That was my first job. And I suppose really what that triggered was my love for hospitality, my love for travel and tourism. So I went on to study this and got an opportunity with a big yellow American car rental company <laughs> to open. Is it Avis? <laughs> it's, it's not Avis. No, it's yellow, Tommy. So they opened a, a, big, com a big contact center in Dublin, 3,000 seats. And guess what? And don't take it personally, but the Americans needed somebody that could speak another language. <laughs> and as I speak four languages, I got an opportunity to work with them in Dublin in the contact center. At the time, it was pretty much call center. We had still not headsets, just ordinary phones. And that was 23 years ago. And I got hooked. 
So I love the contact center industry. And from going with that big car rental company, which still exists and is still in Dublin, um, I, I went through a number of outsourcing uh, companies before I went to work for Thomas Cook in, in Germany, also in the contact center industry, and then eventually ended up thinking, okay, what I can do for you, I could consult in. So I, uh, I am now running, I'm now running my own consultancy firm. And all we do is make sure that contact centers and customer service centers run smoothly, that the customer gets what they asked for, that the, our clients get good reviews on Trustpilot or if it's in the in the hospitality industry on TripAdvisor, that their customer satisfaction scores are really, really up there because at the end of the day, that's what the public eye sees. And if your scores online are poor, guess what? You're not going to get any business. So that's what we do. So two things one i didn't realize you were a hotel restaurant hospitality graduate as well i have that same yes i am many many months ago but i am yes and you know part of why i asked this question first right and i and you know you're in the hospitality industry in some aspect right like you're working with call centers for like travel brands and, and whatnot but like yeah it doesn't really matter i just want people to realize that listen to the show that all of us started like dishwashing or i was making like sandwiches on a grill at 14. like nobody start like doesn't matter where you started especially in the hospitality industry you can become the owner of your own business you can come oh, absolutely like we have unlimited potential and we actually reward people for working in the trenches it's not like science where you just go to college for a bunch of years like you know and like anybody can do it like you've got to work your way up and i thought that absolutely cool. yeah so, you absolutely can and you know what i still anytime i go back to that restaurant there's nobody there anymore that i would know but so, it brings me back to think actually hospitality and really really giving the customer what they need has probably for me kind of laid some sort of a foundation that this is what I'm going to do eventually. Well, and I will tell you this too. I do feel like hospitality, if you've worked in the industry, you're an insider in the industry and it's probably true of all industries, right? So I don't think it's unique to us, but it, it becomes a language that you yes. can read and speak. And so you can sit in a restaurant and go, Oh man, they need bussers. Cause look at all oh, those. Oh gosh. Yeah. You just like, you see the inside workings of yeah. stuff. And I mean, that could be true of hospitals and, you know, and other businesses. But the reality is, is that, you know, hospitality is an industry that you spend, you know, you don't spend time in the hospital when you're not going to the doctor. Right. But you do spend yeah. time in restaurants, even though you don't work there. So <laughs> absolutely yeah, much more accessible now. Here's something I want to get clear. I think we all understand what customer satisfaction is, right? That is how happy was the customer with this interaction with the call center or this product or their experience purchasing, whatever it is. Let's talk about customer experience. Yeah. That's something I, I don't like, I, I want to hear from you what, what customer experience is. So customer experience measures the from start 
to end journey of my interaction with your firm. So a, a lot of people think, oh, well, customer experience, that is just about, you know, what the brand looks like to the outside, maybe the marketing, maybe, maybe part of the production. It's not. It's making it hang together. What is that customer experience from the very minute I am thinking about be going into the market looking for something? to then actually enter the market, do some comparison. How easy is your website to navigate if you want to sell me something? In the travel industry, that's incredibly important. How easy is it for me to book a flight with you, for example? Because if it's not easy, I'm not gonna book. And my customer experience with you ends there, and guess what, it's a poor one. But then if you stay with the, with the flight experience, then it's about, okay, I've now booked my flight. How easy is it for me to, to get the ticket or to book my seat? Or do I really have to pay five pounds for an extra, for my seat, for example, and 25 pounds for a bag extra? That kind of thing. So the end-to-end -end, uh, interaction between me and you as a service provider, that is, that encompasses my customer experience with, for example, British Airways or EasyJet or Ryanair. That's what we measure. So customer experience is all of my interactions with the yeah. business and not just a human being, but every aspect of it from every aspect with it yes you can have an experience with the call center not of course you can you can have an experience for example if it's in store if you in the old days where you went to the travel agency you could have an experience there but at the end of the day we measure end to end we call this customer journey from the very minute we start thinking about wanting to go on holiday to the very day we come home and write the review that's a customer journey and there are a number of touch points on that journey which then create an overall customer experience and they're different for every business so for instance if i was uh, yeah. pizza hut right which i know you have in like england uh you know pizza hut their customer experience is going online ordering my pizza seeing that it got there hot and the airline is it's all the way through the process and then, and that really goes all the way from basically till you pick up your bag at the carousel. Yep. At the end, when you come home, I guess, like the whole round trip. Absolutely. And, but here is the thing, you know, nowadays, when you pick up your bag at the carousel when you come home, that's usually outsourced. That is not you as an airline or not even as a, let's say, uh, as a airport provider anymore. It's outsourced. Now, when you have a number of outsources in your customer journey, your customer experience becomes just that much more complex. Yeah. Because can you just imagine you, you have the best sales process under the sun because you do that yourself. And you have the worst customer service process because you have outsourced it. Yeah. I wow. told that. that is awful. Customers well, only re remember the negative things, you know, and they complain if you then create a a let's say a trust pilot review or a TripAdvisor review which or a google review for that matter which will be always out there and visible for evermore 
that can be really, really damaging to your brand. Well, and the other thing too, I guess, if you're looking at when you have those outsourced partners is that you really have to do a good job of isolating and, and, and surveying on how did like this specific part of the thing go? Because yeah. that way you can provide those guys with feedback because obviously when those third parties come and say, Hey, we'll run your luggage for you. They're selling you on their ability to do a great job, but you need to make sure that like you have a mechanism to get those guys actionable feedback that says, Hey, yeah. man, this is like, you guys are dropping the ball on this and it's impacting my number here. And if you're impacting my number, then we're going to have to sever this relationship. So you gotta get your act together. You exactly. Know? Absolutely. Yeah. And there, there we come to something we both love, which is measurable data. And <laughs> we go and collect that up to until, you know, to the cows come home. We really do. Well, and you know, it's interesting that word because you're saying that because that could be, you know, it'd be interesting to be like, hey, I'm bringing you in as a third party vendor to me to handle this part of, of my business that I don't find is profitable. But I'm going to ensure that you utilize this system that I use to manage my customer experience and journey. Yeah. And you're going to get logins to that and you're going to do it too. So we have one source of truth about operations. Yeah. That seems very and that's exactly what we do. We would go in, me and my guys, we go in and we measure against the number of criteria what you are doing in your customer service area or if it's warehouse in your warehouse area. Because what happens there is absolutely important especially if it's broken you can't fix it if you don't know what's broken does that make sense yeah. some people think they are perfectly fine it's just the way it is but in nowadays especially now post pandemic the only way you can differentiate yourself from your competitor is really making sure that your customer gets what you promised them they would be they would get because if they don't they they go away the, you know that whole brand loyalty piece is nowhere near as strong anymore as it you it it was pre-pandemic or even you know five ten years ago and the typical example is actually the, the car rental um uh, business you you can hardly find it. Well, okay, there was a very funny a, a very funny uh, scenario a couple of weeks ago. We usually fly to Switzerland, and we normally fly into the Swiss part of Basel Airport. And up to now, we also hired our car there. It's fine, that's what we do. And on our last flight, we accidentally booked the car rental on the French side. And guess what happened? Because of the discrepancy between Swiss francs and, and Euro, our car rental was much more, was significantly cheaper. And on top of that, the counter guy was very, very, very friendly. What do we now do? We fly into the French part of Basel. Doesn't bother me. I can cross the border with my rental car, but I go there because it's cheaper and the service was better. But that's what's happening. That's the first time the French have ever been accused of having better service. 
Well, I think it's at border a triangle. Germany, France, and Switzerland, they need they are incredibly competitive in that area. Oh, but, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you're right though. We're all giant babies now. Like the worst thing ever was Facebook putting the like thumb up, thumb down that created this entire world where yeah. we're all Napoleons and we all need like perfect service. And I'm I'm the biggest baby about it. Like, because, hey, I have software that corrects those issues. So I'm like, you're not even using my software and you're sucking. And then like, uh, yeah, but no, we are. And these reviews are, um, these reviews do last forever. Yeah. And I actually read the reviews. Like, you know, and I know a lot of them are fake. And so I try to like mentally weed through them. But like, I really do try to read the reviews, the bad reviews. And then I try to understand, is that person that, garbage crazy or are they like yeah. a reasonable person who bought something that didn't work or they didn't get what they expected yeah but isn't it sad you just said what i also do but if i start working with a client or even at the point where it, the client is a prospect what i read first are the negative reviews i want to hear what's broken yeah and you know and Again, I wonder, can this be or not? And yes, there's always the odd fake one. But predominantly, the fake ones are usually the, the positive ones because people do not want to drop a star or half a star. So rather than, than the, the bad ones are usually pretty accurate. And it gives me a very, very good understanding where the process is broken. Because you might... You might call the contact center and you might give out and you might be very unhappy, but usually the cause of your problem is not the contact center advisor. They are, they are most of the time extremely friendly. They go out of their way to help you out. The issue is elsewhere in the business. Yeah. And here is then where that feedback loop is so important. What's the point if my people identify there is an issue with the product or there's an issue with the warehouse or an issue with the delivery driver and nobody does anything about it although we report it every week every month every quarter yeah. so here is a problem with that driving firm or with that you know courier firm do something about it so during the pandemic i'm a big peloton guy which i don't know if, if you're familiar with yes yeah. They have the bikes and the treads and they yes. just hang out with a rower. But like in the US, like obviously their sales spiked and they went insane and they had supply chain issues and they had delivery issues. And I was on this Facebook group about the tread before they had the tread recall. Um, and it was all the delivery woes they were having and the treads were going and broken and the guys were horrible. And I mean, it was like, it was, I'm sure if I was the CEO of Peloton at that time, I, I would have just like, you just, in my house yeah. holy hell how do we fix this and i mean it was during the pandemic so you know it was hard to fix um and, and you know it it was nuts and it was so crazy one other thing is like you were mentioning these like TripAdvisor in the u.s there's yelp yelp is yes. the big yelp is, um, yeah. proof restaurant review thing and they had very predatory practices when they first got started I think they got, mm. I would assume they got a bunch of VC money or something and they just were really evil to restaurants about um, trying to get them to pay for uh, advanced ads and all these different things. But so it, it, 
they were so predatory that like, and also at the time, at the very beginning, they didn't have a lot of the algorithms built in to look at yeah. the accuracy. And if somebody was putting a bunch of bad reviews in from the same IP address and some of that stuff. And, uh, but then, you know, you would hear these horror stories of like the sales guy going, Hey, we can get these bad reviews to disappear. If you just pay to like yeah. the platform. But like, anyway, so it got to a point where in the restaurant industry, people don't believe those reviews. They just nope. simply choose to go. They're all my competitors trying to get me. But then think about how much time you have to go out spamming your competitors on Yelp. You don't have a minute to do that. So they don't have a minute to do it either. And it's really interesting that they that the restaurant industry in the U.S. just really discounts Yelp completely across the board. And, you know, I've never been to a five-star Yelp-reviewed restaurant that wasn't five stars. Mm. And I consulted like you. I traveled all over the world, all over the country. You know, I was always in a new town, never been there before. Go find the kind of restaurant I wanted. I'd find the highest graded Yelp one. I'd go there. It'd be yeah. great. Yeah. So, that's my and I think here is, the, here is the thing with customer service and customer experience and rating. It, it has absolutely has its place. And yes, we should use it. But at the end of the day, if I want to make a difference, the difference starts not with the review, the difference starts within my company, within, you know, within my organization. And then you come very, very quickly, and we see that all the time, you come into uh, operational change or change management, transformational change, which if you are not bringing your people on board with that, you have very little chance to succeed. Because at the end of the day, a disgruntled advisor, a disgruntled um, a waitress, a disgruntled store assistant will definitely not aid your customer experience. They just won't. Well, and let's be honest, the review is a lagging indicator of how well you did your job. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's pre-reviewing you. Yeah. No, exactly. Listen, I'm really excited for it. I hope it's great. You know, no one writes that review. They only are triggered to write a review if one of two things happen. They are so blown away by something or they are so angry about something. There's yes. no, that's why you see fives, so a couple fours, and then twos and ones. You very yes. rarely see threes because the middle of the road guy that was like, eh, they don't have time to write a review. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really bothered. It's, it was okay. So why should I review? You yeah, know, they but, just won't buy again. Because we don't know what how how big that segment is. That is also a very dangerous segment. I didn't know nothing about that. I can do something about the one review. I mean, yeah. yes, the review will stay there, of course, but I can proactively reach out and say, Mr. Always or Mr. Customer, I've read your review. I'm terribly sorry this happened. Can you give me an opportunity to make it right for you? You know, and, yeah. and I think when you then read the thread of what's happened to that interaction most of the time at the end of the thread there is a positive thank you very much you helped me yeah and that's what i want to get to because things do things do go wrong in all fairness absolutely people make mistakes they do dumb stuff that is my favorite though i will tell you like in certain sites i think like what is that shop 
what is like the big uh, shopping cart that everyone loves? It's like shop something, Shopify. Shopify, but yes. Shopify yeah. carts. I love when you go in there and you see like a bad review and then right below that review, like a reply to that review is, hi, I'm Tommy from Customer Satisfaction. We are so sorry this happened. Contact me at this number and this extension and I'll take care of it. And yes. you're like, it, that to me is like the best. Obviously, you want perfect experiences on the first run, but we are going to make mistakes. And when you and, and the best thing a company can do is document that they went in and tried to fix that thing, because yeah. then when you're reading the bad review, you go, "Well, shoot! At least the, like I would if I see that, I'm like, okay, I can trust that this company's going to take care of me." You know? Absolutely, absolutely. And here is where then you can then take it down to the next level. You can go and thank your your store manager for fixing it, or you can go and thank your your contact center advisor and say, "Hey, well done. The customer eventually walked away happy." So you can do a whole lot of stuff internally with your teams if they got it right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That was question number one. See how disciplined this is. <laughs> Okay, carry on. <laughs> so let's get a question number two. What is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? So the big project initiative we are working on just now is that with all of our experiences that we have seen through our deep deep dive, we are looking at launching the Leap Academy. And that is really hot off the press, where you can basically get um customer service and contact center size bite size training nice. for your advisors and your management team as and when they need it so that'll be like a web portal like a training portal yeah or... it's a training portal yeah it's designed as a training have... portal we have delivered a, a number of trainings in-house and we now thought, well, hang on a second, we can make this accessible to our clients, including masterclasses with experts. Um, for example, there's, there's, a, there's a, an absolute amazing customer experience guy in Germany. His name is Daniel Ort. You want, must look him up. And, and he has delivered a number of masterclasses for us on quality assurance, for example. And all that will eventually become available for our customers to log in and train as and when their, their people as and when it's needed you know what i love about that uh i love the idea that it's bite size right yes it well, won't be any longer than 20 minutes maybe half an hour that's yeah. it perfect so hey you're struggling with losing your temper or whatever like on these calls you're taking it too personally yes exactly i, yeah. I want you to go sit in the i want you to go take yourself offline put yourself on call and I want you to take half hour. I want you to watch this training. And then I want you to schedule some time with me later this week. And let's just chat about what did you get from it? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Like, or for example, also how to use, you know, you always, your call handling time is so long because you are not leading the call. That's not a full day training. That yeah. is a half an hour session. How do I control a call from start to finish? Hello, Mr. Customer. You're speaking to Marianne. How may I help you today? To Thank you very much, Mr. Customer. Have a nice day. There is a structure that you can follow, and that's easy to learn. Yeah, because I think what I think in the old days, and especially in the restaurant industry, and I'm not sure if it was the same with with the call centers. You know, 
training was always, I mean, this is before technology really, right? So like, you know, it was harder, but like, you know, it was always like, we got to bring everybody in at 7 a.m. and we'll get coffee and donuts and everyone's exhausted and we're going to spend three hours going through all this stuff and yeah. people are like falling asleep, you know? And it's like, it's so much better just to give it on demand when they need it. Um, Cause it also, it keeps them more productive across the board. Right. Yeah. And, and you're not wasting people's time on stuff that they got eventually trying to get to the thing that they need help with. It's just here, just, this is what you need help with. Everything else is good. Just focus on this. Exactly. And you know what, what you have seen over the last four years since we, since I'm running this business, the problems in the, in this customer service industry, they, they repeat themselves. They are plus minus the same in every single company. Interesting. And I'm not saying I want to do myself out of a job. Absolutely not. We still do the deep dive. We still do uh, customized processes and procedures, and we still do transformation projects. But we can comfortably say, if it's about difficult customers, we point you to that masterclass. Or if it's about um, setting up a, a proper workforce management system, listen to that masterclass and you have an idea what you need to do because time is time is money and and if it if it can be explained in a short snappy uh, half an hour 45 minutes happy days well and honestly too you know i noticed like so and i try not to do this anymore but definitely at the beginning i kind of got roped into this a lot um was hey we're going to be rolling this the platform out across the chain right and we're mm-hmm. going to break into like the four time zones in the us and so then they would be like can you just do a training for each time zone and i'm like oh yeah like and, and instead and so they were always inconsistent i miss yes. in one and do it in the other and so it's like if you can just so then i move to similar to what you're doing a here Here's a five to 10 minute long video, watch this and then come with questions. And I still have to battle the clients sometimes to get them to sign. They're always like, well, I don't think they'll watch the video. Well, you know, that's your problem, not mine. But exactly, yeah. I wanna communicate this thing perfectly. And if I can make a video, then I can go, oh, I missed saying that. And I can go add it back in and make it perfect and communicate every point. Whereas, you know, if I'm trying to do it live, I just go down different tangents. I mean, my brain's nuts. So like, <laughs> and it's also the other advantage, you know, Tommy. Not everyone needs every trading all the time. Yeah. So there, we see clusters. So if there is a new product rollout, chances are that only half of the people need a really thorough training on that product because the other half either has it at home, has it seen already, or is so savvy in process and procedures that they're really confident that they can do deal with the call. So why would I stick that person into a half a day's training? Yeah. If all they need is checklist, do I understand this? Yes or no? Okay, I don't. I go into this training. Yes, I do understand it. I watch the video. Happy days. Yeah. And, you know, some people like me, like I'll, I'll just, you know, if you, like I get the point, you know, a lot of times the point was made three times in a five minute segment. I get the point in the first minute and I'm going to fast forward through. Yes. So I notice you're doing something else and then I'll go back. And then if I get a question, I don't understand. I'm capable of going back and, and researching it and fixing it. So, you know, 
I can move really quick, quick to that. And like, that was always my problem in like undergrad and like high school, or I think you guys, secondary school, like mm -hmm. just, I get too bored because I need more stimulus. I need faster, you know? And so then, you know, for me, I, I want to go faster. Absolutely. I, I do have a, I do want to explore something though, because you touched on it and it obviously is close to my heart because we're operations management software, but like, uh, and you kind of touched about it in the first question was, you know, if like the best thing we can do for customer satisfaction is fix operations, right? Correct. Like yeah. I, I interviewed a guy the other day, he was a marketing guy, sales and marketing, uh, an advertising agency. Yeah. And he said the same thing. We we're starting now as a, as an advertising agency, talking to these uh, restaurant companies, we're starting like we're starting to go, Hey, we need to start handling operations too, because you're and it, the way he said it was interesting. Like, you're definitely going to call me out if we're not moving the numbers, right? Like you're not going to have yeah. any problem telling me I'm not moving the numbers, but like, I need to know that if I drive people in to your business, that you're taking care of them. And he had an yeah. example about a product that was really bad. And the people were really disappointed that the sales went there. And he's like, you got to look at the numbers, man. I drove a ton of people in here that bought it one time. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's not a good product, you know, like. I would agree. But there's also the other thing with operations. You know, you always think, oh, we do everything in marketing. And, and yeah. I love sales people. They are beautiful people and usually very, very talented bringing in the sales. And then it starts to fall over. Yeah either the product is broken or the service is not what they were told they were getting or um let's let's talk about banking there a couple of years ago we were involved with a with a a, a major bank here in the uk and customers had an average handling time or advisors were told they had an average handling time of of about 10 minutes to deal with the wealth query uh -huh. Now, in all fairness, Tommy, if I have invested a hundred thousand pounds with you as a bank in 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 your wealth portfolio, and I'm not happy with it, I want a little bit more of your time than just ten yeah. minutes. So after ten minutes, my agents have to say, "Well, sorry, Mr. Customer, uh, Tommy, you now need to send me an email." What? Uh, the customer satisfaction was absolutely out down the drain, basically. Holy heck! So there you go. So so it's really operationally, you can say you can have the best advertisement, bring, you know, wealth management plans, this, that, and the other. And then you are not allowed to talk to me any longer than 10 minutes. Oh my God. You yes. know, that is such a finance CFO decision if I've ever heard one. So the thing is, because it was it, the decision was taken by people that are not operational frontline people in yep. the bank. You know, if, if these advisors would have been asked, what do you think? What should we do here? Should we should we invite all of them to write? Should we uh, offer uh, should we do an outbound campaign and call them all first? What should we do? Because that element was not then done. You know, operations was not involved in the design of solutioning this bit of work. It fell over. 
that just feels like a decision that somebody was like, look, we're, you know, and banks make so much money in the U S I mean, the whole world, everything is a bank or a coffee shop or an yeah. there. those are the only things you see like on every mall. But like the thing that's that, that sounds like such a decision where somebody was like, Hey man, we got to find some profit in this business. Well, but like, so why don't we, we won't have to hire a bunch more customer uh, success reps if we can just limit their call time, right? Yeah. They get six calls an hour in. Yeah. We don't have to hire these extra, you know, how many people. But like, like that's the kind of like, that's just the stupid, that's just like hearing that. You're just like. But it hammers it home. I love to use this example because people are just go, oh my God. Yeah. But it happens everywhere. And yeah. here is, we pride ourselves in the contact center industry. We pride ourselves to what we deliver, what we call first call or first contact resolution. That By that, I mean, you phone me and I solve your problem today. Not tomorrow, not a call back, not, oh, I pass you on to such and such and he may or may not bring you back now. Yeah. But that's a completely different business model than many customer services areas run. You know, you need to really think about who do I hire? Who is providing the service? Do I have the right talent there? What other processes are they really sleek enough so that my advisor can help the customer? And how do I make sure that the issue gets fixed on the other end? Because if a hundred people ring in with the same problem, my first time resolution is not really that good, is it? No, well, and you know, it's interesting too. And I think this is what's so frustrating. And this is, I think, one of the most frustrating things ever is, you know, people talk culture. They talk about customer satisfaction. We're going we're gonna to take care of our customers. Yeah. But then they don't back them up with the systems at the call center level yeah. to empower those employees to solve problems. Correct. And that exactly. drives me ape. And I'm going to mm. throw Sony under the bus here. I bought my son Spider-Man for Christmas on his PlayStation. And I didn't know that our PlayStation didn't even have a disc drive because, you know, my his grandmother bought it for him. And I was just trying to buy him a nice present. And then I opened it. And then I thought I downloaded the game. And then I had the disc and I tried to, I couldn't, there was no door. And they wouldn't give me a return. But wow. like, no, I can't return it. You opened it. And I'm like, yeah. Really? And then, and there, yeah. the service was the same way. I was chatting and they, they go, you have to email and you can't talk to anyone. You have to email. You have to. Yes. And then finally, I, the person kept saying no to me. I said, just transfer me to a supervisor. Then I emailed with that guy and I said, transfer me to another supervisor. And I went two levels up and eventually got to a point where they said, yeah, we'll return. Yeah, exactly. And that is not first time resolution. Yeah, exactly. You will not buy Sony in a hurry again. Well, except they have a monopoly, which in some games they do, sadly. But, yeah. but you know, that's exactly it. Yeah. It's like, you know, like, like I have a, I mean, and they, they know because they have my son's account. I have an 11 year old son. Hmm. going to be yeah. playing with PlayStation for probably seven more years and probably will take it to college with him or he might get another one. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's probably 10 grand. On this yes. kid on this PlayStation. Yes, exactly. Time. It's the lifetime value of your customer. Exactly. And it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Question number three. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Oh, the one thing. Can I only say one? <laughs> you can do it anything you want. The one thing that really keeps me up at night is the bad press that we are getting, sadly. A lot of contact centers consistently get bad press. As you just mentioned, that's only contact center. That hurts me. If I could go in there, get my hands on this and just turn it around, that gives me satisfaction. But the negativity, because companies see the contact center as a cost center, they don't think as as a opportunity for lifetime revenue creation because at that point it would become a profit center wouldn't it yeah. and they can't handle that that really annoys me big that, time that's really interesting i i kind of see the same thing with my product because our platform is so new people mm know what they don't know about it right they have it in a context in their mind that we're just replacing some paper checklist they're not really thinking about it as a way to actually solve business problems and and create profits and sales which we have use cases where they do that and they yeah. don't they're not think they're not mentally there right and yeah. so you're, you're battling i want to say it's not ignorance you're battling a perception, a preconceived notion yeah. of what this is. And you have to like, I hate to say, I hate to use the term, get all outside the box, but you got to look at it differently. Like, you know, mm -hmm. this, this isn't a, just a thing that you do because you don't just have a call center there because people want to complain. People, we live in a different world than we did in the 1980s. They're, they have infinite choice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And nail you on reviews. So this isn't the same like, ah, oh, these guys are just complaining, trying to get free stuff. No, this is a massive part of your marketing budget is yeah. making these people feel amazing about their purchase and helping them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And that really, that, that, keeps me awake i wonder how can how can i change that perception what does need to happen at ceo level to understand that customer service is crucial because at the end of the day it doesn't matter where the mistake or the issue happened the one person that knows about this is customer service they know about all the touch points they know about at what point it happened when it happened where it happened blah 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 so really that again must be um a value enough to invest and say well hang on a second these people know everything about our business how can we make sure they turn our customers in happy lifelong customers there's so many similarities between my business and your business, right? Because the other thing that I think is really interesting and you kind of touched on it, that this problem is some people in leadership are like, I don't actually want to know. They don't want to know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, they Thanks. got their head in the sand. If, if I open up, if I pull my head out of the sand and start looking around, 
I'm going to have to deal with all this. And also mm -hmm. people are going to see that maybe I'm not doing as good a job as they think I'm doing. And uh, they get very worried. Like, it's just a weird thing. I'm like, it was funny because I was having this conversation with one of my team members today. And I said, because we have a client and one guy bought it. They gave it to another guy to implement. He doesn't want to do it for whatever reason. He's not that excited about it. And I always tell people, you need to be terrified of the employee in your company that wants less data, less, less visibility, and less accountability. The guy who's yeah. arguing against those things yeah. is not the guy you want on your team, period. No, exactly. Uh, I totally agree. Like, so, you know, if you have that executive who doesn't care what's happening in the call center or doesn't want to, you know, turn it into a profit center, doesn't want to, doesn't want to pursue every aspect of the business to its actual maximization of return, yeah. that guy's the wrong guy for that job right i would agree but it's also it's of it's very interesting companies that really have very tangible company values and attached behaviors they predominantly usually do much better in customer service than sure. others because it you know it comes from the top if i behave as i say and it's visible for everybody and i am um, um, and i protecting my integrity and the integrity of the firm then that trickles down from the top right to the frontline advisor and they usually do better as this disconnected in silo operating various old school managerial hierarchies that that are just disconnected from what's actually happening in the store or on the front line. I, I can totally see that. I mean, when you have a good culture, right, that cares about employees, cares about customers and employees, and they actually yeah. live their culture, then this isn't about, then they can see the lifetime value of the customer, right? Sony yeah. doesn't see that with the games. And I'm sure they, you know, I'm, I don't know why they evolved into that realm. I can't believe they started that way, but like, you know, it's just like, and I, as a side note, that's thing. I finally wrote, man, I obviously made a mistake, you know, mm. like mm -hmm. I was trying to buy my kid a Christmas present. I made a mistake, like help me out. Like I finally had to say that. And that's what like they got him to move. Like that I admitted that I was wrong or whatever, but like when you have a company that has an actual, they're just, they, yes, they want to be profitable. They want to be successful. They oh, want yeah. to grow, but they want to take care of their customers because they realize that and their employees, those employees are anchored to something more than just, no, I'm not allowed to give a comp, right? They're yeah, actually exactly. Where I want yeah. to solve the problem. Exactly. Exactly. And that is what, what empowered employees love to do. Yeah. To In my industry anyway, help the customer and letting go as a happy customer. You know what I just remembered? This is crazy of me. I'm getting old. Uh, I worked in a call center. I did long distance call center in like 1997. There you go. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, it was one it was in the US, there was a point in time when they deregulated the phone system. Oh, yes. Yeah. You could do these five code things like pound, one, two, three, four, five, and you could hop from like the ATT network onto at the time it was called Quest. Yes. 
network yeah. and you could dial through that. And I remember, like, I remember being a call center. I probably did it for like a, eight months to a year. It's probably one of the better jobs I'd ever had at that point. And uh, I remember getting yelled at by people about their bill. And I remember like, like I hate confrontation, my heart rate going through the roof, like freaking out, like, oh, they're gonna, mm. they're so mad at me. Cause I am like you, I'm a hospitality person. I take, like, I take hospitality seriously. If we have a bug in our system, I think it's, I've let everybody down. You know, like I really yeah. wanna make people happy. That was a very hard job for me because of getting yelled at by people. And and it is a hard job. It is all fairness. Some of my guys, frontline people, they do absolutely an amazing job talking to upset customers every single day, all day, and still go home with a smile that's because they made the customer happy. Yeah, that's amazing. Because that would freak me out. Like there'd be times I'd have to go, okay, I have to come offline and go get like some water and just walk around for a second and let my adrenaline come down because I just felt like, you know. Yeah, but see, a company that cares would have a process for that. With one of my clients, we just recently implemented a policy to allow my advisors to hang up on a customer that's abusive. Sure. They thought, well, we can't do that. We, no, 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 we can't, we can't hang up. And I'm going, why would anyone want or to insult you? And why should you, as my member of staff, have to put up with somebody that cannot articulate properly what their problem is, that insults you greatly, that starts to swear and do God knows what? No. At that point, you are empowered to hang up. Yes, there's a process behind it. Absolutely. You sure. still follow up with the customer, blah, blah, blah. But you do not have to listen to this because guess what? The mental health factor, the, the, the constraint on mental health, if you hear these calls and you are the dumb person or whatever else, is so big that if you go off sake, you cost me more money than that disgruntled customer that I now need to ring back and invite to call again or to send an email, hoping that he or she has calmed down. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, you know, I mean, the pandemic really pushed a lot of people to the edge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we have employment issues. We've got people that are hanging on by a thread in a lot of cases. And so, yeah we have to do a better job of ever protecting those people that are showing up for us because if we're not doing yes. that it is yeah. it can be really rough absolutely and and again an, an, an example from the from the airline industry in the early days of the pandemic people roared down the phone to the poor advisor wanting a flight changed and there was no flight available and you know going absolutely bananas the poor person couldn't do anything about it because guess what the airlines were all grounded so you know why why should i be exposing my people to to such a, a behavior i don't yeah no absolutely i i'm that i think that's great and you know yeah. And the reality is, is that, you know, as you get older and you have a little bit more money, you know, I only do business with certain companies now and I do it because they take care of me, you know? Yeah. 
And, and I think here, here is a massive differentiator in the marketplace, also from a customer service perspective. If you take care of your employees for, on every level, they will take care of your customers and your clients. They just will. Absolutely. Not, not, you know, there's so many companies that, that and I, I love companies that profess we have an employee first culture, but I like companies better that actually have an employee first culture. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? There was, it was in the, let's say, late 90s, around, yeah, maybe early 2000, where there was this slogan out there, employees are our biggest assets. And it made my skin crawl when I walked to the contact center floor and I would see how these people were treated. And remember the old days in the industry where you had where you had desks, one to the next, yeah. to the next, to the next, and you had to raise your hand when you wanted to speak to somebody or you wanted to go to the loo. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And then on the wall, it said, our employees are our biggest assets. And I was like, would I treat, I treat my car better than that. So. Thankfully, a lot has changed since then. It really, really has. But anytime I see this, I cast my mind back and think, okay, let's just scratch a little bit on the surface here. Are your employees really your greatest asset? And are you treating them like such? Yeah, just like, uh, you know, I, I think people are looking for the hypocrisy. You know, everybody's mm. mission statement, everybody, oh, we treat everyone great. And then your boss is treating you like garbage and you're like, okay, this is all BS. And then that, and, and uh, what what's so bad about when people identify the hypocrisy within the organization is it gives them a justification to be bad. Mm. You're not doing yeah. what you said you were going to do. So yeah. I don't have to be nice to these people. And it's exactly. justification that allows them to be garbage. And that's when you start to see your customer satisfaction going yeah. down because, yeah. or customer experience going down because, you know, eh. It, it yeah, might. it's a massively, it's, it's such a wide field. But at the end of the day, to me, it's very simple. I, I sell a product and I want you customer be happy with that product from end to end it's great it's actually not rocket science i have a question for you because we haven't really touched on this and it was like a big <laughs> joke here in the u.s um for a while what about like the call centers that are in like the third world countries are they getting better do you do work with them or do you primarily stay with call centers that are on the continent oh gosh now i need to think about not getting myself into hot water you are talking about um contact centers that are based overseas for the us that's predominantly central america uh puerto rico that kind of these kind of areas for europe it's predominantly the philippines and india also a bit for the us in fact uh south africa very much up there now 20 years ago, we had this big push to move English-speaking customer service to the Philippines or to India. And guess what? If it involved talking to a customer, it went absolutely pear-shaped. If it was fixing a technical problem, it was amazing. 
So what transpired over time is customers fronting direct customer interaction with uh, between an advisor and and a customer in the Americas or in America or in the UK. Having that outsourced didn't work so well. When it came to fixing tech problems, it worked a dream. Oh. So that was one trend, which to answer your question, would an offshore contact center be better or worse? I would now say it depends on the line of business that you are outsourcing. Sure. And other, a, a big factor that we see in the industry, if we go offshore, is employee retention. At the time, I worked in Bangalore in 2007-2008 for about 14 months for a, a big outsourcing company. And when I joined there, our biggest problem was the evolving door because our pay was really low. Sure. As soon as next door paid a bit more, the advisors left. So if you know what the problems are, you know what advisor your advisors go through, then you can you can kind of create the package accordingly. And 20 years ago, people went offshore simply for price. Now that's not like that anymore. Yes, price is still usually cheaper than maybe in-country, but there are quite a number of other factors that would need to be right before a company would say, yeah, I am going offshore with my, with my business. But that is actually quite a vast kind of topic to talk about. We could probably fit another hour with that. But I would, I would, I would say if you're... Any of your listeners consider offshoring or offshoring and outsourcing, they really need to do a very thorough due diligence because it can go horribly wrong or it can go beautifully right. Interesting. That, that was, that's actually, I didn't know any of that. that oh, that's yeah. Interesting. And see, especially, I'll give you an example for Europe. One, Europe, the Europeans in principle do not like to outsource to, let's say, really offshore, offshore, like five, six, seven hours of flight away. Sure. So in Europe, we try to what we call provide nearshore solutions, the likes of Poland, for example, um, the likes of. Latvia, the likes of even Albania and, and has now a, an outsourcing community. One of the up and coming ones, for example, is Romania. Now, would people think about that in the first instance? No, they wouldn't. But if you go and do your research, you find people in Romania that speak German, that speak French, that speak Italian. You get a reasonably um, decent um, uh, business rates and your salaries are nowhere near as high as for example in Switzerland or in France or in France is not necessarily the salary in France it's always the employment law that's that's causing us a problem or the UK where, where the salaries have gone up and we can't find multilingual people anymore so what do we do we go near shore it's interesting because I live in Colorado in the U.S., which is like in the 
it's in the Rocky Mountain West. And yeah. A lot of uh, agrarian, you know, we have a lot of farm country and open land all around us. And there are Carl centers like in Wyoming, for instance. And in mm. Idaho, it's kind of like near shoring here too, or down in the South. They'll yeah. put Carl centers in these small towns where there's a community college and they, you know, they can become the number one employer. And instead oh, yeah. of, you know, you're paying 20 or 15 an hour versus, you know, in a city, 15. You know, thirty or forty an hour, and exactly, you know, yeah, they're getting the good the guy you want. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely, and that's an opportunity for for contact centers to go where, for example, where there isn't a massive other industry where maybe unemployment numbers are maybe higher than elsewhere, and your your overall costs and business rates are maybe cheaper than in the rest of the country. Well, yeah. I mean, all you need is a good internet line, right? And that's exactly all nowadays, anyway. Absolutely, it's all voice over IP now. So you know, yeah, it's yeah. cool. Okay, question number four: What is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Oh, the one thing my industry would be doing right now, and it isn't. I would probably say it is not mining the data to the detail it could mine the data that's available to us. Hmm. So you think there's a lot of buried insights about what's really going on in the business? Yeah. That and we are not, you, we're only scratching the surface. You know, it, it, start, it starts with chatbots and AI yep. and it ends with telephony data when do customers phone what do they want to hear I had a client a couple of months ago last year in fact who said oh do you know what Marianne I really really don't want customers to phone us anymore mm -hmm. and they're kind of go okay yeah that's that's uh you know why not but have you actually asked the customer whether they would like not to speak to you whether they would want to fill in a form or they want to chat or do you think they really want to talk to you? Hmm. Silence. So there is data available, customer sentiment that told me within half a day whether or not this particular firm's customers wanted to talk to them or not. Hmm. But they didn't know. There you go. That's really interesting. You know, it, it, you know, we have the chat and we have the AI in the chat and it does a great job of, it does a good job of trying to find the answers to people's questions. I find that the AI gets confused when people don't know how, like you said earlier, can't articulate what they're really suffering. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're, we're very blessed in that we don't get that many. We, we couldn't even hire a support guy because we don't get enough chats to give them a job. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I had one chat today, so, woo, you know, but uh, it's interesting because I, I actually appreciate chat more than being on the phone. Um, from Chatting like, would, is a skill, Tommy, yeah. really meaningful chat. There's a colleague of mine, she specializes in that. Oh, really? Her company is called the Chat Factory. And nice. it's like, all she does is training people how to chat chat in a meaningful way and find a resolution for the customer 
And it's so important that you get that bit right. Oh, yeah. And there is an etiquette how you chat. Do you know, your smiley face, yeah, probably acceptable. Hearts, no, absolutely not in a business chat. Why would I have a, a heart? Do you know? Oh, yeah. I, I'm Acronyms, I horrible. Yeah. I have horrible grammar in, in chat. I don't know why. I can't. All, all idea of grammar and proper punctuation just flows out of my brain when I start messaging people or chatting with them or texting them. It's the worst. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So we're at question number five. Oh, wow. Oh, God, I feel I've gone to the, to the mill now and been grilled. Come on, what's question number five? It's war story time. I want a story that's cringeworthy or hilarious or one of those scenarios where you can't believe you got through it because all heck broke loose and it was just, oh my gosh, like I want that kind of a story. You want that? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. It, it's an employee. It's an employee appreciation story. Oh, good. So I was, I was a, I was a team lead in said yellow car rental company. And I had a, I had, my advisor had a really, really, really bad call. And, and she was very polite and very patient. And she tried to help the customer. And at some point, the customer says to her, do you know what you're doing here? And what you're trying to help me with? Sounds like you are blonde. You're really not the most, the most savviest one. Now, the girl was blonde and she was my best advisor. So... She finished the call and she came to me and she said, Marianne, this was awful. This was dreadful. So I phoned the customer back and I said, Mr. Customer, I'm really sorry. We couldn't help you and so on. Here is what happened. But may I just say something you said to my advisor, she was blonde and dumb. And that is really, you just insulted my best advisor who really tried to help you. And the customer was so upset. He was like, oh, my God, I didn't mean it like that. Oh, what, how can, what can I do? So he went out of his way. He went and apologized to her. He sent her a, a card. And I think it was a gift to in there as well. But for me, it was like, hang on a second. Nobody ever, ever speaks to my people like this Mr. Customer did. And you know what? For me as the boss, it was very little to just leave the phone and say, hey, Mr. Customer, I know things went wrong, but you, there was no need to behave like you did. And I wish we would do that more because it made a difference in that advisor's life that very day. That's, I've never heard of that before. It's one of them. You see, see when, when people say, roughly say, oh, well, are you having a blonde moment? Something like that. Yeah. For somebody that's naturally blonde, that is a really, really bad. It's just, it's just awful. It's discrimination as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so. The, you know, that, uh, well, and honestly, like. Yes. I think that brings up an interesting sort of concept of, you know, I, you know, we're all in this together. And like, maybe yeah. people, have, people need to have some respect for people. Yeah. You know, and in two, in two, I guess so much of our history, right? The customer is always right. The customer is always right. The customer is always right. 
we don't live in that world anymore. You know, if a customer came in and made a comment that was uh, inappropriate, right? Like, um, you know, around like, I don't know, just pick something like, you know, you hair color was this case, but it could be any number of things, right? Like we as employers, like, you know, once again, it's not like it was in the 1980s where you go, you're lucky to work here, dude. This is a job. Yeah, no, we're exactly. We're, we're lucky to have this employee and yeah. we're going to take care of them and treat them like family and, and protect them. Because if we don't, then you think your customer service is bad now. Wait till like all you guys make them leave. And then, no, you know, we can't even service your request. That, that's very yeah. interesting. Kind of be kind of a two-way street once in a while and maybe it does have to be yeah wow. exactly yeah agreed i mean not in a bad way not like yelling at him and cursing at him and like like then you become the villain right you're just another jerk this company is a bunch of jerks but uh yeah. a reasonable hey you know maybe we shouldn't be doing business together type of thing if you yeah. know you're not gonna like you have to respect that these guys are here they're killing it we got a lot of that during the pandemic for all the frontline workers that were out there like you know, at the grocery stores and in the, the doctor's offices who were basically exposing themselves to way more people, mm -hmm. right? They got a lot of sympathy and empathy, but, you know, as the pandemic goes away, people are, you know, less, uh, they forget, you know? They forget. Yeah, they do. Well, so I will put down on the show notes, uh, I will put down your uh, website. Do you Thank want to you very much. Your yeah. As well? Yes, my LinkedIn as well. I'm very happy to, to, to talk to LinkedIn uh, to people on LinkedIn to send me a DM or a connection request. Absolutely. So and to the website or we also hang out on Twitter. Yep. So, and you do engagements in all over the world, right? So yes, we do we do engagements around the globe. We do engagements in a, no, a number of languages, which is useful because with all of my people speak at least two languages which is really nice so and that gives us the opportunity to really you know we see a lot we hear a lot and we are very happy to share that which is something that sometimes in my industry is also a bit scarce maybe that people are very protective of how they deliver their customer service where in fact i think if you share your brownies if you share what you know and you share your best practice what do we do at the end of the day we improve our employees life and we improve our customers experience happy days win-win share your brownies well, that's wonderful so guys if you're looking for some help not only identifying the you know your your entire customer experience your customer satisfaction your call center but also your operations what is going on that's causing all of these unhappy people Mariana is the person to call. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and uh, thank you guys for listening and we'll be back with some more interviews soon.